It's the Grim Tidings Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Matheny. And I'm Philip Overby. And we're back with another edition of the Writer's Pits. And today, Ed Erdelak steps into the pits. He is with Ragnarok Publications. His latest book, With Sword and Pistol, features four novellas that he wrote, uh, highlighting both swords and pistols. It's kind of stories about uh, warriors in various terms. And this episode has cool story, bro, all over it. Um, definitely interesting uh, plots and things. And uh, Ed Erdelak is actually the first uh, guest on the show who has background as a screenwriter. So we will delve into that a little bit. And his uh, path to publication started with Hollywood dreams and turned into uh, writing. So uh, definitely a cool conversation uh, that was that was had and um, excited for folks to hear this uh, interview today. Yeah, I enjoy talking to Ed because he has a background in screenwriting. We could talk about that some. And also, he's a big Western fan, so very cool to hear about the blending of weird elements with Westerns. I'm a big Western fan as well. Uh, the Man With No Name series one of my all-time favorites. So definitely check this episode out and enjoy yeah, so far we've had a specialization in Grimdark. We are your podcast for all things Grimdark, but we also love all variety of, of dark fiction. So with Ed Erdelak and with future guests, we're going to continue to explore all the uh, dark genres that are out there, including Weird West and horror and the things that we talk about with Ed today. So here's our conversation with Ed Erdelak. Stick around after the show. We'll come right back and wrap things up. Our guest today is the author of eight novels, including the acclaimed judo-eccentric Lovecraftian weird western series Merkaba Writer, the Van Helsing and Texas novel Terravolos from Journal Stone Publishing, and Andersonville from Random House Hydra. His fiction has appeared in numerous periodicals and anthologies, including most recently the Stoker Award-winning After Death, also Sword and Mythos, Atomic Age Cthulhu, and Star Wars Insider Magazine. His newest collection, With Sword and Pistol, was released last September from Ragnarok Publications. Edward M. Erdelak, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, it's a blast to um, have you on the program. You've got some very um, interesting writing credentials, including uh, diving into um, Lovecraftian and weird Western fiction. Uh, but first, let's dive into your latest release. Uh, came out from ragnarok publications it's called with sword and pistol it's actually a collection of four novellas is that right yeah yeah they're like a novella like dark adventure supernatural kind of novellas so yeah what what prompted you to go with that for an initial release from ragnarok versus uh, say a traditional novel to begin with well uh i had known uh tim for a while uh tim markwitz one of the uh editor is one of the editors over there yeah we've uh, had him on the show before yeah him and i was listening to the show yeah him and uh joe martin uh, both of them uh but tim had been the editor on Mercaba writer back when it was with uh well it's still most of it is with damnation books this uh publisher and uh he was the editor on the first three books and uh so i knew he had started a publishing house and i saw the quality product they were putting out i mean the books all look beautiful they got a guy uh sean king over there that does awesome design work so I knew I wanted to do something with them, and uh, I had been getting emails from a couple of you know readers and stuff asking me where a couple of my earlier works that had been out, like uh, one of the stories in their Red Sails had been out of print since like 2009 or something. It used to be with like Lyrical Press. And then I had uh, the last novella in there, uh, Gully Gods, was... Uh, 
in a book that Tim and I put out with two other writers, Malon Edwards and Lincoln Chrysler. Uh, so it, I was had a bunch of stories in there that had didn't get a lot of exposure, and uh, Tim was already familiar with them, and you know knew that you know he liked them. So uh, I, I was looking for a place to bring them to a wider audience because uh, I had some books at the time like in with uh, other publishers under consideration and stuff so I didn't have anything like original yet for Tim I do now like the, I got a book with them coming out next year uh, it's an Arthurian fantasy called uh, Night with Two Swords so I went with Sword and Pistol because basically I wanted to expand the readership of these stories that kind of didn't get a lot of uh, play and uh, you know they had a, uh, an audience <laughs> so I went with that and it was it was kind of fantasy sword and pistol related so you know like kind of sword and fantasy related so i wanted to go with a fantasy publisher instead of a horror publisher you know so could you tell us quickly about the contents of each of the novellas just like a quick uh, yeah, elevator pitch about each something. one so in uh, red sails the one i mentioned it was out of print for a while that's like a pirate adventure story where uh these two uh, a, a dominican blackfriar and a british marine get their ship gets sunk on the way to uh, New Spain, and this uh, pirate ship picks him up, and uh, the the, le- the captain is a vampire, and the uh, pirates are all werewolves. He has a crew of like werewolves, <laughs> and they basically once a month go to this uh, island of cannibals that worship them and stuff. Like they've they've gone there enough times that these cannibals like worship them, and they uh, set these guys loose on the uh, on this jungle isle to be hunted down. You know, basically under the full moon and stuff. It's like a survival adventure horror kind of thing. Second one was uh, Night of the Jikiniki was uh, based on I love like uh, I love Romero zombie stuff, but I also love uh, Chanbara movies like uh, Sword of Doom is a big one. I like uh, Shogun Assassin movies, you know, Lone Wolf and Cub, stuff like that. Uh, and and the old uh, Seven Samurai, that kind of thing. So I did a story that one's about uh, this sadistic like samurai sword tester. They used to back in the day in feudal Japan, they used to uh, test the strength of the samurai swords by cutting uh, the corpses of condemned men. Basically, like they didn't bother like just chopping wood. They would they would like see how many bodies. You know, they'd stack a bunch of bodies on top of each other and see how many they could chop through with a sword. Basically. That is awesome. Yeah, so this was this guy's job. And uh, so he's in this feudal prison, you know, there to test a sword. And then uh, there's a condemned uh, kind of caseless bandit. And there's this mad, like, child-murdering monk, basically. And they're all these two condemned guys and this samurai sword tester. And they're in this feudal Japanese prison as, a, uh, as the, like, the Romero zombie apocalypse basically happens. So they're trying to fight their way out of this prison. And then uh, what was the next one? Okay, the next one's uh, Sinbad and the Sword of Solomon, which I did for this little uh, new pulp press called airship productions airship 21 and uh that was basically uh i, I liked like old ray harryhausen kind of fantasy movies with the stop motion you know cyclopses and and you know clash of titans and all that kind of stuff and uh so i did like a straight up kind of arabian fantasy where uh sinbad and his crew uh are hired by the caliph of baghdad to go to this like magical island where this demon has this sword that uh will basically uh any wound that it makes can't be closed so this caliph wants this sword and everything so he said and Sinbad and the crew to like rob this demon basically uh, and the demon is like an eight foot tall you know it's like a spirit clad in uh, white hot metal basically 
he's got like a horde of crocodilian, you know, minions. And then there's Maori on the island that got shipwrecked there and they're fighting him. And so that's what that's about. And then uh, Gully Gods is like the oddest one of the bunch because it takes place basically in modern day, like 2001 or something like that. And uh, it's about this South Houston gangbanger who uh, flees like Texas to uh, Chicago to live with his aunt after he kills this guy in a subway parking lot or something. And uh, he falls in with this group of Liberian ex-child soldiers. They have like uh, almost supernatural powers of invulnerability and they're taking over this like Hispanic neighborhood and stuff and he kind of uh, falls in with them and it's a bit like Lost Boys where he learns the dark secret that kind of like you know is the source of their powers and everything and it's not vampirism before you know you think it's that so well holy shit that's a that's quite a, a collection of stories yeah, it's, there it's a wide bunch yeah I, and I maybe worked a little over hard to tie them together with the with the uh, sword and pistol was a reference to the the highwayman song you know uh, where uh, if it op- it opens with uh, Willie Nelson saying uh, I was a highwayman you know with sword and pistol by my side and all this kind of stuff so I was I was kind of looking at these stories that they all take place like hundreds of years apart and they're you know thousands of miles removed but they all make their living with either a sword or a pistol and you know they all come to a like kind of a bloody end and stuff so that was how I linked them together it might be kind of a tenuous link but <laughs> you know that's up to the reader I guess. Yeah, that sounds pretty badass. I think folks should uh, head out now to uh, Amazon to pick up a copy of Sword and Pistol for sure. Sounds well, we're like- in agreement. We're in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> as far as you being a writer, kind of give us your your background of how you came into the writing business. Uh, I went to school in Chicago at Columbia College like in the, until about 98. I was going for filmmaking and I kind of used went for a screenwriting concentration so then I came out to Los Angeles you know expecting to make a living as a screenwriter and it didn't happen you know so like it's it's very very hard to get something read in a place like in Chicago you know you go on the train and everybody's uh, got a book in their lap and you go to LA and it's not like that at all you know there's nobody's reading anything so making it as a writer is pretty hard if you don't have connections and stuff so I kind of like went the long way I'm going the long way around the barn now basically I took a couple years doing screenwriting and I think I wrote about 13 or 14 scripts and I barely got any of them read. I mean, I think I won one contest. I got second place in one screenwriting contest or something and it just wasn't going anywhere. So then I kind of started submitting stories around here and there. And like around 2009 or 2010, I just started having a lot of luck with them. Um, The weird thing was, uh, so it started like I'm a big Star Wars fan, too. And uh, Lucasfilm was put it had this contest running where, you know, some crazy bug nuts looking thing walks across the screen for like two seconds in Star Wars. And uh, they put a screenshot of this thing up like an alien or, you know, a robot bot that didn't have a name or something it was an open call thing they just let fans uh, make up a backstory for the character and they did a different guy every month for like three years or something and i came into it at the tail end but i won for like three months and uh from that uh the editor over there that was doing that at the time uh, pablo hidalgo now he's in the star wars like story group he's like a you know mucky muck up there and everything now but he uh included me in an email blast looking for stories for the website so that was my my first professional sale was like i told a boxing story set in the star wars universe basically <laughs> it was called uh fists of ion <laughs> so uh yeah, that was my first sale. And then it's and then when that hit, like uh it just everything started hitting at the same time. I sold a story in the UK and I sold my first novella and then I sold the first Mercado Writer book all in a span of like a year and a half, basically. It was more rewarding to me than screenwriting because, you know, I was getting feedback on stuff like relatively immediately, you know. And it's a lot cooler when you're writing and you know there's an audience on the other end of it. Whereas with screenwriting it was just like pounding out all this stuff that nobody was reading and the way the film industry's kinda gone, uh 
it seems like producers are mostly buying up established IPs anyway, intellectual properties anyway, like stuff that's, you know, already got an audience, you know, like the, uh, oh, all the series that are coming out are all books already. And yeah, I think I'm kind of going a long way back to where I started. I'm hoping anyway. So <laughs> when you were talking about your four novellas, the, the popping in my mind immediately, are very visual concepts and I could see them on the big screen or even, or even like it's TV shows or, or anything like that. And that's something we ask a lot of guests is like, like where do, where do you see your work going beyond uh, books? Do you see it going the movie route since since you have a background in that? Or uh, we've talked about their games being developed and Kickstarter obviously gives a lot of options to expand on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what yeah. would you like to see be developed from your stories in the future? I'd love to see like movie expansions would be awesome, but uh, I'm also kind of looking into comics a little bit. Comics are almost as hard for a writer to break into as film because uh, it's a visual medium. So if you're not paired with a really good artist, you know, nobody's going to really pay attention to it. Like you go to a comic convention and guys can just uh, bring their artist portfolios and show them right to the uh, like Dark Horse guys and everything. And uh, it's not that way for a writer. It's very hard, you know, just send somebody a pile of papers and say, you know, can you read this and see what you think? (laughs) Uh, so I talked to a couple of comic book artists lately. Uh, Jeff Darrow is a fan of Macabre Writer. Actually, I don't know if you guys know him. He did like Hard Boiled and uh, Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. He was the guy that basically designed the look of uh, the Matrix. Who are the guy that did the Matrix? I can't think of the names. Wachowski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in with them. They're like they use him as a conceptual artist a lot, and he's a fan of Macabre Writer. He's going to be doing the covers actually when I bring the book series out again. And uh, so I've talked to him about maybe do or he's he's talked to me about like doing some stuff and so i'd like to like do get some kind of visual representation because it's kind of everything is kind of going that way it seems like it's very it's a lot easier maybe see attention spans of people now or something but there's a lot more people that'll read a comic book than they will read a novel and uh as much as i love writing novels i mean i prefer it to anything because there's so much freedom to it you can just go anywhere uh, and you know go off on tangents if you like and just explore little nooks and crannies of your story but there's a lot of people that don't have the attention span for it anymore and i think you know the wider audience is the visual audience so i'm kind of i'd kind of like to get into some kind of visual medium games games are awesome i love tabletop games and rpgs and stuff and, you know i'd love to see my stuff become the source for that kind of thing just for people's enjoyment you know i find it really interesting that you went into ideally filmmaking and screenwriting with the goal of hopefully to become a successful screenwriter but uh, but you found it frustrating with not finding a acceptance for uh, the work that you were putting out, where you eventually just transitioned into putting out stories and then eventually finding that audience. So it must have felt good to find that validation from publishers and, and, and readers alike for acknowledging that you can indeed actually write shit. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make the money of filmmaking, <laughs> but it's uh, it's nice to have the, uh, you know, the creative like validation is pretty cool. I even did an independent film. Like my last hurrah with screenwriting was I tried to film my own script and holy gods, what a nightmare. <laughs> uh, it's out there. It's on YouTube if you want to see it. But, uh, you know, I don't uh, I recommend going to the last 20 minutes because the last 20 minutes are awesome. But the first 60, like, uh, I don't know. What should people uh, search for on YouTube to find that? Oh, it's called Meaner Than Hell, yeah, if you want to see it. And I said I recommend just going to the last 20 minutes. The last 20 minutes are pretty boss. Like my, I, I, we, we did the music ourselves and everything, and uh, it turned out really cool. And it's two guys trying to kill each other in the desert. Right? There's a joke in the script that it's a game of matrimonial poker because they're both trying to fuck each other. <laughs> 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 
yeah, so it's there if you want to see it. You know, you've been warned. (laughs) (laughs) With your experience with filmmaking and screenwriting, what are maybe two or three things that you've taken from that experience and imposed into your uh, fiction writing today? Probably uh, economy. Uh, You know, I I learned to, like, I think make a story move a little bit faster. A lot of it was a little bit too talky, you know. Keeping in mind what I said, I think people have uh, are a little bit hungrier for more leaner stories now. Um, I think I took some of that economy of uh, of plot and brought it to my writing and stuff. And uh, you know, I'll still be descriptive as as you can be in a book uh, because you know uh, people that are reading a book are expecting that you know a little bit more meat on it than a, than going to see a movie. I think, but uh, yeah, I think I, I learned to move a story along a little faster. I think. Some of your influences are very similar to to my kind of upbringing. I was really interested in westerns, and of course, I live in Japan now, so obviously, I have to be uh, interested in Japanese culture in some way. You know what's um, funny though about Japan that I noticed? Um, I mentioned to you before we started uh, recording and everything that I had a story uh, translated over there recently for I think it was called Nightland Quarterly, and it's all in Japanese. But uh, the story that they picked, like I sent them, I sent them Night of the Jikaniki too. You know, I pitched that to them uh, from with Sword and Pistol, and they were not interested in a story about Japanese culture. They wanted like the weird Western that I sent them. Uh, the one yeah. they ended up buying was like about Indians fighting vampires or something, and that's <laughs> the kind of stuff they liked over there, which makes sense to me, you know, I guess in a way, because. It, it, there's not really a uh, an abundance, I I would think. I don't know. I mean, I, I've never been there, but is there an abundance of like Western American, like literally Westerns out there or something? Because uh, that was what they were interested in, which was funny to me. I wouldn't say that Westerns are super popular here, but I I, I do know that there is a there is a big curiosity about Western culture in general and like why Western people not not Westerns like the. The movie Western, but Western. Yeah, I get you. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Just so, like there is uh, over here about Eastern culture. You know, it's just, it's yeah. like the gaming culture over here. You know, is all into anime and that kind of stuff. And and over there, I was I was wondering if it was like the opposite. You know? I think anything that's not familiar is viewed with a mixture of curiosity and perhaps revulsion. I, maybe revulsion is the wrong word. Contempt, yeah. There's two, there's basically two different Japans and, and often people say, Oh yeah, you live in Japan. You must see anime all the time. And <laughs> you know, people are busting out of buildings and you know, people are fighting each other in the street and <laughs> unleashing their super Saiyan powers and all this kind of shit. I'm like, no, nah, people just get on the train and like, fucking read and hang out and get drunk that's basically yeah so, so it's, it's like it's like over here in a way pretty much yeah but there's there's one section that that is fighting against that very conservative still ingrained in the culture and i think that's the people that are interested more in the the weird and you know westerns and and these kind of things and uh, so I think that's why they were probably more interested in that story, just because it's not something they see very often. And um, I have noticed with any of stuff I do that even my teaching style, like if I if I do something strange when I'm teaching, it's immediately more interesting than what their Japanese teachers did. So. Yeah, they broke up. So one one thing that that's interesting is we've talked about some with Cameron Hurley in the last episode was uh, this idea of not 
fitting into a genre and and you being your own genre and something we said to Cameron was uh, this idea of Cameron punk which is basically Cameron Hurley punk <laughs> it's <laughs> it's her it's her genre self-made genre yeah so since you're blending so many genres do you see that kind of same thing in your in your own eyes that you're making your own kind of blend that is your is uniquely yours ed punk or like or lackey or something <laughs> my buddy Erdlack- calls it that Erdlacky. like jokingly yeah yeah i think so i mean uh i i definitely don't set out to usually write in a specific genre like i'm not looking for a certain genre audience it's just basically the stories i write what i want to read you know what, what, what would interest me to read you know the first novel I wrote was a straight-up coming-of-age western about, like, buffalo hunters, and nobody wanted it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I put that one out finally, and it, it doesn't sell at all. And then uh, I, I managed to put out another revenge western, uh, Coyote's Trail, and uh, yeah, it doesn't sell that well either, but as soon as I started uh, going crazy with it a little bit and putting in, you know, Mercaba Rider has all this judeo-centric uh, angel stuff and and uh you know demons and you know cthulhu and when i started infusing that stuff people like you said people like perked up all of a sudden i guess because i've i've gone to like straight up western conventions just try, like western writing conventions just trying to sell western books and i don't know if it's my look or what but you know <laughs> they don't even look twice at me over there you know so i wanted to just write westerns you know for the longest time and uh, uh when i started experimenting and then throwing in uh extra stuff it, it didn't just excite readers i think it also excited me a little bit as i was doing it that sounds a little weird but what i'm saying is you know i think that came through you know in the writing like as i started infusing all my interests into my writing and uh, i think the passion started coming through and uh people took to it more i think that's what attracts uh, a reader like stephen king said in like on writing that writing is a kind of telepathy like the person who's who's typing out the story and everything could be, you know, like Lovecraft could be, you know, dead for years. But all of a sudden you're in that guy's mind when you're reading his work. So if you make that human connection somehow, if you bring in some of that excitement and share it with the reader, then uh, I think it excites people more. Because I'm just kind of taking everything that's made me a writer and putting it on the page, basically, because it's it's what I'm interested in, in reading myself. I think it's interesting that uh, you were setting out to endeavor to write straight Westerns, but once you started incorporating those supernatural elements, it perked up your audience and, and, and drew their attention. So I do find that interesting. On our show, we're continuing to expand out beyond just our dark fantasy, grim, dark vibe, and, and incorporating more things like the fiction that you're writing, um, also including the, the, the Lovecraft and the Cthulhu vibe. For those who aren't familiar with Lovecraft or the Cthulhu um, elements, what are some of the common story tropes that are found in that Lovecraftian style that you've implemented into your writing? So Lovecraft is like, uh, he was this East Coast guy that was kind of xenophobic and he uh he did these stories where uh in in his in the in his universe and his concept of his universe is that everything like humanity was created as an afterthought basically it's it's not like a humanity centric universe it's like uh the universe is chaos and uh these beings called the outer gods kind of uh or the elder the old ones or the elder things or the elder gods or the outer gods uh were these kind of like alien intelligences but even even a it's like the world is a dark onion and uh, at the center of it is like you know our you know our reality what we can perceive and then beyond that is like this chaotic realm where like you know immense 
kind of intelligences uh, exist and they're completely oblivious to the existence of mankind and, and some of their minions kind of like accidentally created mankind in, in their various experiments on the earth and stuff like these alien beings that worship the old ones and so man is like just a micro speck of uh, dust and uh, you know they get devoured as an afterthought basically and then when when your mind when a human mind comes into contact with one of these intelligences or something, it basically like turns you into quivering jelly. You usually, usually come to it through some like uh, crazy grimoire, you know, that was you know written by a mad monk back in you know the, you know the 14th century or something, and and then uh, you flip through this stuff, and as you you try to you know some occultist tries to summon some you know demon, and it's and they wind up you know with some tentacular bioluminescent horror that comes through and just. Sucks their brain out their ear, <laughs> just as a matter of course, too. Not even as punishment or anything. Just like, oh, you know, uh, my a buddy of mine, uh, Jeff Carter, who uh, uh, I write with sometimes, uh, did a really cool little story uh, that I think encapsulates like Lovecraft perfectly. It was basically this guy that gets sucked right out of like the planet Earth, basically. Uh, like a light opens. It's almost like an alien abduction story, but it's actually these two old ones like kind of fishing, basically, in the universe, and, and they just pluck this guy up and devour him and everything, and that's basically love, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> two aliens fishing, basically. <laughs> There's been a resurgence, I've, I've found, of Cthulhu and Lovecraft in the past. It seems more and more people are uh, getting into more of that vibe, and there's a Cthulhu con, I think, in Portland, and... Uh, uh, there's definitely a uh, growing fascination for Lovecraft. Why do you think that is, that people are gleaming on to his, his vibe that he's got going on? I think it's the next big thing because it's a pretty atheistic view. And with the, uh, with the way that uh, the church and faith has kind of fallen out of popular uh, culture, uh, I think people are latching on to this more because it's, uh, it's a, you know, a nihilistic – it is nihilistic, but it's, it's – it, they can still have monsters without having to believe in, without it having to be the exorcist, you know, without having to believe in the devil and God and all that. Like this is just the monster without the uh, opposite number, basically <laughs> that you that you're forced to like, you know, accept and everything. Uh, so I think it's a, it's more it's becoming more popular, yeah, because uh, that religious horror that was big back in like the '80s and stuff has kind of fallen out. I'm kind of interested in uh, Cthulhu injecting himself into the political spectrum. I, I keep seeing lots of people say, <laughs> vote "Oh, vote." Yeah, vote for Cthulhu, because uh, who gives a shit? We're all gonna die anyway. Kind yeah, of there is like a it's a the way with the political spectrum is now with the candidates and everything. Everybody's kind of like. Uh, I think they're at the verge of not voting at all. It, a lot of them weren't voting anyway, but now they're at the verge of like, well, if you're going to pick between two evils, you know, pick the greater evil, which is Cthulhu. I guess. <laughs> Just pick Cthulhu and Why settle? wipe us all out. Yeah, <laughs> I figure if we're all going to die anyway, like we keep getting these, you know, prophecies that we're all going to die every, every couple month. of months or something. Like, well, last Wednesday we were supposed to be all yeah. wiped out. But so I think it would be cool if Cthulhu actually did show up. <laughs> And then everybody just fucking went crazy and shit themselves all at the same time. I'm curious how he would even eat people, like just suck them up with his tentacle face or whatever. Or Cthulhu has a huge like following because he's the most recognizable name. But, you know, in the story, they, they hit him with a boat and, and he kind of like. <laughs> if you ever read what a wuss. Call yeah, they just the guy hit him with a boat and he got off with insanity, which I think is pretty light. You know, <laughs> he didn't get well, his, I mean, he didn't get his head piled off or anything. So. Well, that's what happened with Jaws. They just ran into him with a boat, didn't they? Yeah, 
Yeah, with some uh, a couple of CO two canisters or something, right? Yeah, so that's that's all we got to do. So <laughs> yeah, if Cthulhu shows up, with run them run out with a boat. So on the business side of things, when it comes to marketing yourself and social media, what sort of tactics or plans do you have in place for getting your work out there into the market? Yeah, I wish I had like a magic formula. I really do. (laughs) But uh, money and me have never been friends. (laughs) So like uh, for audience wise, I think the greatest thing you can do with social media some people buy ads and some people like, uh, you know, spam places. And I even do that once in a while, you know, like on, I think on Mondays is my day to kind of just pick a book and, and go to all the groups and say, hey, guys, buy this or here's an excerpt, you know. But uh, the, the greatest thing you could do on social media, I think, is just kind of uh, be approachable and be engaging and entertaining and keep your book visible. But don't cram it down everybody's face because people hate that. I mean, like if you get a friend request on Facebook and like. Everybody knows this. And like, you know, <laughs> 30 seconds after you accept it, the guy's like <laughs> posting a book, something to your wall or, or you know, messaging you and saying, oh, hey, hell no. <laughs> hey, yeah, you're gone. So it's like <laughs> the best thing you can do is engender goodwill towards yourself and uh, hope it spreads to your work. And and really like just every once in a while, nudge people, nudge people in a general like with a general post and say, hey, guys, you know, if you like this, uh, tell your basically my thing is is tell somebody, you know, like I'll ask for an Amazon review once in a while. But it's like really just the thing that uh, gets a book going is word of mouth. So uh, if you can not be an a hole, I think that's the best thing you can kind of hope for on there. Phil, you go like the guys that are selling like billions of books through Facebook are doing it by uh, because they already had the audience when they came to Facebook. I think personally, you know, like they're they have their name already. Like George R. R. Martin doesn't have to message you and tell you go buy the new uh, Song of Ice and Fire, you know, book because you know everybody's waiting for it anyway. So. So you didn't know this, but we're compiling a list of uh, advice from different people that come on the show. So Cameron Hurley's advice was don't be a loser. <laughs> and your your advice is don't be an asshole. So, <laughs> um, uh, the, the two terms are kind of, they go hand in hand, I think. <laughs> well, I think she was talking more about like, don't complain. Like, no, I, oh, you know, no. nobody bought my book. And apparently there was I saw something recently where a relatively popular author they went on social media and berated their fans their actual loyal fans for not buying enough of their books and uh, that seems kind of a weird weird thing to do hey you assholes that bought my books you didn't buy enough of them you gotta watch yourself on social media man because I mean like look at how if you remember Bruce Willis did that uh, publicity tour for I think it was Red 2 or something and he was just like look I'm sick of doing these stupid publicity tours and and uh you know this is such a drain on me or something basically and everybody called him an asshole and i was like yeah you uh you can't do that kind of thing you gotta like because to the average person it's like uh you know who's not writing or who's not working in some kind of creative thing they're like working their nine to five job and i do that too you know and then when i see a guy who says you know oh this this writing thing just sucks today and all this and i'm like dude you're doing what you want to do you know i mean uh i'm over here like you know busting my ass doing some awful job and they don't want to hear people they want to complain themselves the last thing they want to hear is somebody who they think is uh whether they are or not you know doing a cush job complaining about it you know and writing is not a cush job but you know you can't tell somebody that either so maybe we maybe we can get bruce willis on the show <laughs> yeah then, talk about it <laughs> and then we'll talk all about it Let him bruce it. what is your problem <laughs> <laughs> right because you hear, you, I saw all these response posts like Bruce, you make like a you know million freaking dollars doing like Die Hard Six, you know. 
don't you come and do my job, you know? And it's like, uh, yeah, people don't want to hear people bitching about it. People don't want to hear people bitching, period. <laughs> so, like, you know, why would you do that? Yeah, she's right about that. Sometimes your give a shit just breaks. I yeah. Think, I think his just broke that week. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It definitely did. I mean, I, I, I totally, removing myself and looking back, I can say I understand what he's talking about. But, yeah, the initial gut reaction is like, you're in Paris, dude. You know, doing, yeah. a, doing a promotional <laughs> tour on a million dollar, on a movie you got paid a million dollars for. You know, screw you. <laughs> That's the firstiest of first world problems, my brother. Yeah, exactly. But God bless Bruce Willis. God bless know. Bruce Willis. <laughs> I, I don't know. Hashtag I don't God bless Bruce Willis. <laughs> Hashtag yippee So for endeavoring writers out there who want to get their work noticed, um, what's maybe some general writing advice you have for, for folks who are beginning writers who want to get their work seen? One thing I would say is resist the temptation of just self-publishing right out of the gate. A lot of people do that without an editor or anything. If you're going to do it, at least hire an editor because uh, it gives you know the whole indie writer's world a bad name if you put something out that hasn't been looked over at all. Uh, and uh, it's I, I recommend getting an editor or or putting it through a small press first because uh, you have the uh, it's like you have the validation of a third party. You know what I mean? Somebody that is not your mom your mom or your dad or something uh saying oh this is the best thing ever son you know uh you've got a third party who believes in your work enough to put it out and that translates to that means something you know so uh it's a little bit better than just seeing the uh you know create a space brand on there i mean there are people that make awesome money doing creative space books like tim tim markowitz but uh you know he didn't start that way he tried out the other way first, and I recommend that. You know, do that. Get somebody else to look at your work. Get somebody else to put it out. If you don't want to do that, at least get in a writer's group or something. You know, get a, find another group of guys that are willing to beta read your stuff and give you advice and listen to it and take it, you know, because uh, otherwise, you know, you're putting out fan fiction. And that stuff isn't... Uh always that readable <laughs> and a cover artist and invest in a cover artist because uh that's the first thing somebody I, I mentioned earlier people are very visual and uh it's the first if that's the first thing they see and it looks like uh photoshopped a photoshopped kid drawing or something you know, people are going to probably pass it over but uh if you get something that's just halfway decent or you know try to get something eye-popping uh, you got to invest uh you've invested the time in, in creating something uh you should be able to invest a little bit of cash into it too just to make sure uh it doesn't get looked over you know and that's that put something out that you're proud to see proud to look at you know stay tuned we'll be back with more of ed erdelak after this short break Ragnarok Publications brings you high-octane epic and urban fantasy, horror, and science fiction for fans who like to walk on the dark side. Their novels include diverse, archetype-defying characters, immersive, intriguing plots, and the best writing genre fiction has to offer. Whether you like quirky fantasy cyber thrillers like Django Reckler's John Golden series, or Hellboy-flavored tales of demon hunters like Seth Skorkowski's Valdukan series, they have your supernatural bases covered. Visit them at ragnarokpub.com to see their newest titles today. That's ragnarokpub.com. Ragnarok Publications, the best in dark genre fiction. Each week, it just gets more epic. Yeah, it's like I'm really in a thunderstorm. <laughs> that's right. about that's about as much of a thunderstorm as <laughs> California. So. <laughs> So this is the uh, lightning round. It's the writer's pit edition of the the lightning round, and we're going to do weird westerns. Um, so 
Edward and Erdelak is our contestant today, and weird westerns are his cup of tea. So we're going to weird up some other genres, and uh, Edward M. Erdelak is going to describe to us uh, what exactly would be entailed with said weird sub-genre. Edward, are you ready to begin this crazy, wacky lightning round? I don't know. Let's okay. see. <laughs> me, and, me and lightning? I don't know. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> so uh, number one would be weird punk. Okay, so like uh, weird punk uh, G.G. Allen in a giant foam <laughs> 10-gallon hat. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, people need to Google also G.G. Allen as well. Um, not <laughs> but at work. don't Google image. <laughs> no, no, no. Not image search, please. Please, God. All right. Number two is going to be weird and sorcery. Weird and sorcery. Okay. Uh, Harry Potter in knickers and a, and a, uh, a slingshot in his back pocket. I'll take it. Uh, and number three would be epic weirdness. Uh, epic weirdness, uh, Gandalf with a, uh, uh, oh, geez, with a palm otted haircut and suspenders and those little, uh, those little things. What are those garters they put on the sleeves of the bartenders? I'm going to say that epic weirdness. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number four would be, uh, weird steam or steam weird steam weird. I actually put a little bit of that in a macabre writer. So what, what I had in there was a, uh, I'm going to be serious for a minute, <laughs> like a, uh, <laughs> A train, okay, a giant golden train, like enameled in gold with like uh, talisman and runic symbols, like all over it. Steam weird. Very cool. Awesome. Very cool. And then uh, number five for me, a uh, weird opera. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> weird opera. It's it's already weird to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, number six is cyber weird. Cyber weird. Uh, Google imaging searching G.G. Allen in a ten. <laughs> That's cyber weird for sure. This one may also not be Google Google safe. Uh, weird adult. Ah, Philip, you're in Japan. You know what hentai is. <laughs> we got that covered. Eight. Weird beard. Uh, Grizzly Adams with a reverse mohawk down the middle of his chin, just like a landing strip. <laughs> a bear like cut out of the jungle right there. And the bear has a match. Ben the bear has a matching one on his head. Weird beard. Nice. Number nine, weird, weird. Oh, I was asking a lot, guys. Weird, weird. Have you seen uh, Keanu Reeves' directorial effort, Man of Tai Chi? No. I missed that one. Weird, that's weird, weird. Okay. It's <laughs> Google good, that movie. All right, and last one to tie in our wonderful podcast name, Grim Weird. Grim Weird. Uh, that's, that's Lovecraft, straight up. Uh, there is no hope. <laughs> the best you can hope for is to be devoured first. Uh, Grim Weird. For sure. Okay, awesome. You have completed the lightning round. <laughs> well done. And for uh, today's efforts, Edward M. Erdelak, you will win the grand prize. What does he want today, Philip? Well, he is worn. He has worn. <laughs> no. I've no, Philip. Grimbeard. <laughs> you have won a 1975 original Star Wars t-shirt that has been worn by a sweaty man for... <laughs> I have that already. Uh, you guys, the last four hours. I think I've got that already. Are you guys sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's hit Star Wars just for a minute. Star Wars episode episode seven. You looking forward to that? You know, I've never seen a J.J. Abrams movie directed that I really enjoyed. So I'm mm. cautiously optimistic. It looks cool. I mean, I'm with it. It looks pretty fun. But uh, I I don't know. The, the talent, we'll see. I'm, I'm hoping for the best. Overall opinion of the prequel trilogy? Uh, you only need to watch the last... 15 minutes of three, basically. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> and then what do you think about the uh, expanded universe being uh, put on the back burner and having new canon put in place? Well, I have a big opinion about that because uh, the, the last uh, professional Star Wars story I wrote for the uh, Insider, I actually introduced the first uh, black Sith Lord, like, uh, you know, ethnically African Sith Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, two months later, they announced that they were doing away with the old canon. So I was at the tail end of the old canon. So I'm not happy about that. Son but, of a bitch. Yeah. But you know what? It's throwing the ba- it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I guess, because there was some really bad stuff. There were space unicorns in, e- in EU. So they can go. That's fine. <laughs> space unicorns. Yeah. That sounds like space a, unicorns. Totally. I get there. that. And then I like the uh, approach of practical effects too, with a, over the CGI. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, when when they rolled out BB-8, I mean the little rolling robot, mm-hmm. I thought that thing was CG. And when they brought it out on stage, I was amazed. That was awesome. Amazed balls. I shit myself the same way I would do if Cthulhu appeared. <laughs> so B- BB-88 and uh, Cthulhu have the same exact effect on me. They crack the casing of that thing. You don't know what's in there. I don't know how it moves. Maybe there's a. Maybe there's a Shogoth in there or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Edward and Ertelax, sir, it's been a pleasure to have you on the program. People can pick up a copy of With Sword and Pistol on Amazon right now. They can also grab um, Andersonville, your newest title from Random House Hydra, as well as multiple other titles. Uh, for folks who want to find you online, where can they look you up? Uh, I'm all over Facebook. If you can spell my last name, you can find me. It's E-R-D-E-L-A-C. I also have uh, a blog, Delirium Tremens, where I post uh, excerpts from all my work as it comes out, even the short stories. And uh, I do movie reviews of my 300-plus DVD collection. So if if you really need to know what I thought about 8 Mile, that's on there. (laughs) Uh, The address is www.emerdelac.wordpress.com, emerdelac. WordPress.com. Very cool, sir. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Been a pleasure to get to speak with you. Best of luck with all of your writing endeavors. I can't wait for folks to uh, check out all the cool things that you have to offer. And I'm uh, looking forward to reading more Ed Punk. Thank you, Rob <laughs> and Phil. Thanks both. Arigato. Arigato. Doitashimashite. Ah, you lost me there. Sumimasen. Wakarimasen. It's the only other one I learned. I don't understand. <laughs> Doitashimashite is you're welcome. Ah, cool. Uh, and I'll probably be adding you on Facebook very soon and sending you a book link. So look out for that. Yeah, definitely. I hope <laughs> look it's out for my, It moments. will be within split seconds. <laughs> Faster than uh, yeah, less than twelve parsecs. I hope. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You can pick up With Sword and Pistol, available now from our friends at Ragnarok Publications. Special thanks to Ed Erdelak for dropping on the show and for talking about all the cool stories and things that he's got going on. We wish him the best of luck in all of his writerly endeavors. Be sure to check him out. Um, you can hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Grim Tidings Podcast, and we're available to download on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you like the show, be sure to leave a review. We're also on Twitter, right, Phil? Yes, at Grimdark Fiction. At Grimdark Fiction. Tweet us, retweet us, quote tweet. Uh, share the love. We appreciate it. And thanks to all of our listeners. So far, we have 8,000-plus downloads of our 30-plus episodes. So thanks to everybody who's listened to the show. And we've got many more shows on the way. And we're going to have a kick-ass 2016. So thanks again to all who've supported the program so far, we love you, and um, we just think special thoughts about you that involve koala bears and uh, 
festivities and I don't know where I'm going with this, but um, I'm sure this part will be edited out right about now. Uh, We're going to punch the shit out of 2016. <laughs> Boom! Right in the fucking face. <laughs> Until next time, stay grim, stay dark, stay true. We'll see you right here on the Grip Patties Podcast. Horns.